Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. Welcome to season four of Undermine, brought to you by Oasis Media. Are we Oasis Media, Benji? Osiris Media, and endorsed by the governor-elect of Arkansas. I'm not positive if, if that's true, but this is. I'm Tom Marshall, and I will be your tour guide, your fish tour guide, as we retrace Fish's fabled Fall 97 tour, night by night, city by city, jam by jam, limb by limb. Why Fall 97 and why now? Well, it's the 25th anniversary of the legendary tour where fish destroyed America. And it seemed like a good excuse for some guided listening of a fan favorite tour. Joining me today is fan favorite co-host, Benji Eisen. I thought uh, I thought RJ was the fan favorite. <laughs> well, it's not really a competition or else we would have gotten Ari Fink. Oh, so <laughs> I'm the economy option. <laughs> Hi, Benji. <laughs> Hi, Tom. <laughs> that, that was fun. Uh, today's guest, well, actually, you're going to tell us about the guest today, but I, I just have to say I'm pretty happy to have her on because she's been a good friend of mine since, uh, well, since the Fall 97 tour. So here we are. It's uh, it's November 30th. Uh, and in 1997, November 30th fell on a Sunday. 
You know, they say never miss a Sunday show. And tonight's show is a prime example of the reason why. It's in many ways, it's everything that I want from a Sunday show. It's got that day three marathon weekend vibe to it. Um, you know, now that we're all 25 years older, these Sunday vibes are maybe a little more geriatric. <laughs> but, uh, you know, back then Sundays were were loose and they were wild and it was everything that I wanted uh, out of a show. They tended to be, the, the, that's where fish brought the, the crazy, you know, in a, in a good way. It's, it's November 30th. I said that already. Uh, it's the third night in Worcester, Massachusetts. It's in 1997. I said that already too. But in 1997, <laughs> A significant portion of Fish's audience uh, was still in college, you know, uh, so that meant a lot of people had to drive back to their respective campuses that night at the end of the show for the end of their Thanksgiving break. And that includes our guest today, who was attending Penn State at the time. And is it time for me to bring her out of the waiting room? Yes, uh, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> While she's in the void and cannot hear what we're saying, I do have two announcements. Um First, if you like Undermine and you don't want us to be canceled, then please consider upgrading to Osiris Premium, where for a couple bucks a month, you'll get bonus episodes of Undermine, HF Pod, Under the Scales Archives, there's meet and greets, there's AMAs, all sorts of benefits. Uh, find out more at osirispod.com backslash premium or click on the link uh, in the show notes. Uh, and then the other thing, Tom, is a note from our admissions department. I bet you didn't even know we had an admissions department. <laughs> There's always a new department in Osiris. That's right. And they're admitting everyone these days. <laughs> so, you know, you guys at home have been hearing our Fall 97 stories and, and recollections, and and we want to hear yours. So make us a one-minute video telling uh, your Fall 97 thoughts, memories, reflections, anecdotes. Post them to Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And don't forget, very important. Tag Osiris Pod. We'll see them all, and one of them, one of you, will win a handwritten copy of the lyrics to Ghost from our friend Tom Marshall. You know, I've said this before, Tom, but I honestly just think that that is uh, the coolest thing. You are disqualified, by the way. Oh, I know. <laughs> and only because you couldn't keep it to a minute or less. <laughs> that too. Uh, that's very true. Uh, Tom, <laughs> tell us who we'll be talking with today. I thought you'd never ask. Today, we <laughs> will be talking with Carla No, who some of you might remember from season two when Carla reminisced with us about the circular concourse that used to go around the inside of the old Madison Square Garden and about how dancing at fish shows is more than just a favorite pastime. It's a passion that crosses over into the spiritual. And before I bring her in, I will say it's a pleasure to have on this show, again, a female point of view. We started off this season pretty well with three women right out of the gates, Amy Skelton, Holly Bowling, and Shelley Culbertson. And after that, unless I'm mistaken, until now, it's been a dude fest. Nothing but dudes. Shame on us. Anyway. Um, Let's bring Carla in from the waiting room, and if I did that right, she should be joining us momentarily. There she is. Welcome to Undermine Carla. No, how are you? Good. How are you? Awesome. Carla, we love to start our discussions by hearing our guests' fish origin story, and I can sum it up into sort of three sub-questions. Um, what was your first fish show? Um, did you see any other Fall 97 shows? And do you have any notion of what your show count might have been by this time? <laughs> <laughs> Those are tough questions. No, I'm <laughs> uh, my first show was Hershey 95. Um, and 
yes, I saw other shows on Fall 97. Um, I saw Hampton, Worcester, Cleveland. I'm trying to think of it in order. Penn State, Philly, and then Albany. I think you passed that test in terms of the in order, but you'd Same. seen Hampton. So now you were like, cause I, people are pretty much saying that that was their favorite of this tour. <laughs> yeah. I mean that, that was that weekend definitely um, sticks out quite a bit, even now, 25 years later. Um, but I was going to school at Penn state and I had never flown in an airplane yet at that point. So my uh, tour was routed around what could I get to by car and either on the weekend or during the week where I could get back to class in time, like, even if I, that meant rolling in early in the morning the following day and then and strolling into class. Um, and I think your third question was how many shows or what was my show count at this point? Yeah. To be honest, I wouldn't have known except uh, I have a tour journal that I used to keep from 95 through 98. Oh, nice. And so I pulled it out and saw that this weekend was my 24th, 25th and 26th shows. Fantastic. Wow. That's great. <laughs> yeah. You know, Carla, I, I love this show that we're about to talk about, this uh, the Sunday show, Third Night of Worcester. I, I loved it then, walking out of the of the building, uh, and I love it now, even though I, you know, I recognize it's not for everyone. You know, Tom and I actually have been realizing uh, throughout the season that there's a lot of historic nights of fish where, you know, first-timers might have left scratching their heads, you know. Um, and Carla, you and I actually, we know uh, some people that were there that night that, they they didn't uh, particularly love this night. What were what were your thoughts on it at the time? I mean, I loved every show. I don't. I yeah. think at this point in my fish going like life or career, I did not have a bad show. So I can't relate to what you guys just said at all. <laughs> I don't. You know, even now looking back, I don't see this as a bad show. I just think there. You know, it was night after night after night of like craziness happening, and I think it's just it gets lost. And, you know, because there's just too much good stuff going on at the time. Yeah. Like I said, I, I loved this night. Leaving that night, I loved it. There are some people, though, when you think about, like, if this is their introduction to fish, would it be <laughs> weird? And there are shows that qualify. And so much so that I was even thinking, like, it, it might be interesting to get some some stories uh, collect some stories of people who, you know, the experience of bringing someone to fish for the first time, because uh, the stuff we've been hearing is like, oh, I went with my parents and they kind of looked at each other for the whole uh, jam and then left saying, "I, uh, you know, we have to go. Thank you so We're much good. for bringing us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot there's a lot to talk about. Um uh, you know, with this highly unusual one of a kind night. Um, but let's lay the groundwork a little bit for this discussion. Can can you walk us through the first set, Carla? Yes. Yeah, so the first set only had six songs, which, you know, in today's modern fish, people will be flipping out about that. But back then, I think, you know, it just happened at Hampton where it was like not very many songs in either set. And then um, probably several other shows. I can't, you know, I think Denver, but Anyway, so this night, six songs in the first set, also only six songs in the second set. Um, and the show opened up with Gaiuti, which I love that song. Uh, I think at the time it was just a couple years old. And uh, a lot of kids I went to school with at Penn State had seen the debut of Gaiuti in, in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, for some reason, I'm old, old and I'm drawing a blank on the name of the town. Benji might know offhand. But anyway, so they opened the show up with Gaiuti. So everyone I was with was really excited because everyone loves that song. And it just kind of set the tone for the night. And then they go into Funky Bitch, which 
you know, it's very funky and like even re-listening to it, it has that very 97 feel and sound of like kind of like slow and dancey and and then it, it kind of just flow. They, they jam that out for quite a bit of time. And it just flows into the Wolfman's, which is kind of doing the same thing, right? It's the same type of vibe. And then I mean, if you listen, it's like, I think it's like 30 minutes of the Wolfman's. It, go, it starts out that way and then kind of patiently moves into like a different type of feeling where it's a little bit more patient. And I, I don't want to say blissy because it doesn't quite get like blissful, but it's very ambient sounding to me. And then you get to like the halfway point of the song and you, it, it could have ended really, you know, especially in today's day and age, like at that point they had, you know, went to a couple of different areas of like your journey and then they could have gotten to the next song. But instead you kind of hear this, like, I can, I'm dancing to it right now. Like thinking about this, like heavy, like heavy metal jam that comes and they start like screaming, you know, tries like scream the lyrics of sanity. And in my set list book, it says like crazy sanity jam lights out band stomping around like robots. That's what I wrote down. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and then, they, you know, you start hearing the lyrics to Esther and it was just super crazy. You know, just to piggyback off what you said a little bit ago, one of my best friends, Mary Jo, her first shows were this weekend, actually. <laughs> and so after we end this conversation, I'm going to call her and ask her her thoughts. <laughs> but so shout out to her. But um, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, the Wolf Bands is very different. Um, and I looked around the room and I think people were like losing their shit. <laughs> I was really excited, though, because. My buddy Craig Garber had turned me on to the heavy metal Wilson from the Tenix show like earlier in the year. So I was like craving like an evil like fish jam. And it, you know, it didn't happen for me for quite a bit of time until this night. So, but, you know, um, you mentioned <laughs> Wolfman several times and um, it doesn't it, like you said, it started out like with some of the the, the funk, um, but it doesn't completely because wolfman's has been sort of a showcase for the funk on this tour and this isn't a typical fall 97 version can you compare it to anything else kind of that fish has done i mean the closest thing i would say was that uh heavy metal wilson i just talked about and it's not even really like that but it just has the same feeling right and so at the time when i clearly remember thinking oh whatever genre type of music fish decides to play, they fishifies it. Right. And like yeah. make it their own. And so I was like, when are we going to get like the heavy metal phase, <laughs> you know, or like the evil phase or like, you know, at that point it was like the funk phase. And so, um, you know, that compare it to other stuff. I think there's several heavy metal jams that they are heavy evil type jams that they've done. But for me at the time, it was that Wilson from, from uh, Florence. 
Yeah. Well, I think the Wolfmen's is the obvious headline from this set. It is just so cool. Uh, I love the evil fish jam that they do, and it, it's a total freak out, and and I love that. Um, but it, it's worth mentioning that uh, the next song they play, "Love Me" or "Treat Me Like a Fool," as some people know it as, uh, it's an Elvis Presley tune, and you know you could you could posit that it replaced "Suspicious Minds," which was seemingly retired a year earlier. Uh, when they they did that huge one in Vegas where they had multiple Elvi giving Fishman the <laughs> assist. Uh, Tom, it, it wasn't the penultimate version because that would be the second to last one, but it, but it was the ultimate and so far final version. Uh, that's a joke, by the way, for anyone who's been paying attention this season. But anyway, no, no wonder they retired Suspicious Minds after that. Um, and then they pick up this odd one and they play it throughout 97 and into 98. I think this is the only one from the fall tour of 97. Tom, does does Trey have some kind of Elvis ob- obsession that we don't know about? Ooh, uh, curveball question. Um, Trey or Fish, right? I guess one of them the might. So a solid I don't know for me on, the, on that one. Uh, I've never really talked to Trey that much about Elvis, apart from how uh, the band, like how he would arrive, like how cool it was that the band would start playing or be playing, and then he'd walk in. And then the same thing would happen when he walked out. And that was the old Elvis has left the building because they would keep the lights on, keep the people in their seats. Elvis would be gone and then they would stop the music. And, and Trey always thought that was really cool. But uh, as far as like Elvis, um, I mean, it does remind me of a historically great rock and roll quote by John Lennon. And this is like, I, I guess he was being asked which classical composers he was influenced by. And he answered before Elvis, there was nothing. <laughs> well, you know, the one thing we know about Elvis is that uh, <laughs> he liked to take care of business, and so do we. So uh, we're going to have to take a very quick commercial break, and we will be right back to dive into set two. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com, that's distrokid with a capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine for a special offer only for our listeners. That's distrokid, capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine. Thanks, distrokid. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. As promised, we are back. Our guest today is Carla No, and my co-host is Benji Eisen. I'm Tom Marshall. The show date is 
113097 in Worcester, Mass. And the occasion is day three of a Thanksgiving run. Carla, let's dive right into it. Let's hit the second set. How, how do you feel? What's the first thing you think of? The second set. I mean, I the NIC opener, obviously, NIC opener is great. Um, again, another set with not that many songs, which makes me think of more time for improv, right? More time for exploration and yep. not knowing what's going to happen next. Because we all know the songs by heart. So, you you know, it's it's the improv stuff that is really... I think most of us are like a lot of us are there for because it's something that's unknown to us until we experience it. And so, you know, it goes NICU, which at the time, I can't recall how often that would open a second set. I know it doesn't really do that much these days, but back then I feel like that's a very 97 type of opener and then goes into the stash free and then Piper. And so that whole segment right there is the meat of the second set for me. And, you know, I think, what Benji had said earlier is how the Wolfman's is the showcase of the first set. In the second set, it would be that stash free Piper segment, right? That that's like pretty heavy duty, serious fish. <laughs> you know, I forgot until uh, until we went back and and uh, revisited all these how stash is really the song of the tour in some ways. You know, uh, uh, you could say Black Eyed Katie was a ghost, but but it's just the stashes on this tour are all phenomenal. And Stash is always, always a great tune. It's always reliable every time they play it to this day. Uh, but it fulfills different functions. Now it's, you know, typically a first set and it goes into that, you know, dissonance and and it's chaotic and and it's great. Same with the ones from all the way back in 94, 93. But 97, it was like, it took on a little bit of a different, it had a little bit of a different turn. It, it went more exploratory, I think. You know, Carla, this show is just so wild, but, you know, it's in a different way than the night before, which was also wild because it had the hour long runaway gym or the symphony gym, of, as some have called it. Um, these are the days. And I remember this when we would uh, you and I and, and our friends, we would walk out, uh, you know, into the into the night air uh, feeling like we just saw the greatest show on Earth, you know, yeah. every night. Uh, can you can you rank these three? Worcester shows because I'm pretty sure that after every one I walked out going that was the greatest show ever. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I would say there it's a three way tie for first place. <laughs> you know, uh, they're all very different from each other, and they're all great for different reasons, right? Like you mentioned that like hour plus runaway gym the night before, and I remember that when we were all kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Like, is this is the runaway gym, <laughs> you know? And and then, you know, we had that same kind of. WTF moment during like the Wolfman's from this night, right? That we're talking about. And then how the second set is like so different than the first set. 
it sounds, they both sound 97 to me, especially when you put it on after all these years, you're like, oh yeah, you can play like two seconds of it and be like, oh, this is from 97. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I'm kind of rambling, but, but, you know, you mentioned leaving the show. It's like, oh, wow. It's Sunday night. We just got our minds blown for three nights in like the freezing cold Massachusetts, like at the end of our Thanksgiving holiday break from school time to get in the car. We got to drive like seven hours back to Penn state. <laughs> and so, um, that's something I remember. I remember like all those random parking lots everywhere. Um, you know, there's like the pre-show pre-show lot scene, which is very scattered in Worcester. And then the post-show scene, I was looking through some of my old, like keepsake stuff I kept from tour back then. And I found a tour extra that, um, you know, Farmer, Farmer's Almanac folks like Andy and, and those guys used to like distribute at every show. And I'm amazed how fast they put this together because the tour extra from the Worcester run, which I probably got either pre-show or post-show walking out, has all the set lists through North Carolina or South Carolina, whatever. Um, but it's like they only missed one show. They didn't have the Connecticut show. It's like, how do they put that together? Print it out write all the content and was given, I know today you can go online or go on Twitter as long as it survives and get like, you know, up-to-date real-time info. But back then that, that kind of stuff wasn't like at our fingertips as readily without dialing up somewhere in a computer lab. <laughs> it, it's cool that you kept a journal and also kept keepsakes of this, knowing that 25 years later, you'd be yeah. interviewed about it. That's very nice of you. And, and we wish most of our guests would do that. <laughs> they're not, they're not as considerate though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Benji, when you said like you walk out and you're like, that was the greatest show ever. There was kind of like this, uh, I, I almost want to say it's like from 94 through 97, uh, if not more where, um, anytime I would leave, uh, the tri-state area, I live in New Jersey. So it was like New York, um, Pennsylvania, well, not the Western part of Pennsylvania, New York, Philly area. Um, I would, um, when I left that area, I would bump into this guy, Henry Petrus, who I think is a, uh, he was a photographer. Shout out, Henry, if you're still out there, I haven't seen you in years and years and years, but we'd find each other for any of these shows where I had to travel to. And we would look at each other afterwards, like, can they keep getting better every single time? And, uh, and we like would shake hands, like, let's hope so. And the <laughs> next show, they Deal. did. And the next show they did. And the next, like every single time I saw him. So it was like, it was incredible. And so I know exactly what you, what, what you feel. Carla, I asked you kind of this question about one song about Wolfman's, but when focusing on, on fall 97, it's easy to summarize the whole tour by saying it was the season of cow funk, but in isolation for this show, would you say that it was very characteristic of the fall 97 profile? I mean, I, I would, yes. You know, I know <clears throat> like the, the common press that Fall 97 gets is the cow funk, right? But, you know, if you listen to the show and compare it to shows from other years, it sounds very 97. <laughs> like it's not a 98 show. It's not a 99 show. Definitely not anything beyond that, right? So I do think it sounds like a Fall 97 show for sure, just not heavily dominated by the cow funk. But in the stash, there's a lot of funkiness going on in the beginning of that jam as well. So it's there. It's, it's just maybe not as prevalent as some of the other nights. You know, I loved going back and listening to the show, which I did last night and, and last week as well. And before that, 
I feel like I did it some at some point during the pandemic. I I remember listening to this show, but then you know, as as Tom, you just were saying, you know, all these shows every night, it was like such a monumental show. And so when you go back and listen to them, I, I tend to listen to the shows that I was at, and I tend to get stuck in like some favorites. And this show, just you know, I, I, like I said, I listened to it once during the pandemic, and before that. It probably was like a decade at least since, or maybe even more, you know, since I, I listened to it. Uh, Carla, before this week, when was the last time you gave this one a spin? Um, probably not as long as a decade, but definitely several years. But, you know, during the off, like these days when Fish is not touring in the fall, you know, I, I tend to relive nights like, oh, here's the anniversary of this, right? And then I'll listen to this. Now, if they're touring or I'm busy listening to current stuff. Um, but way back then I used to listen to this all the time because, you know, we had to, we didn't have the luxury of having the show ready by the time we get back to our hotel room, right? <laughs> you had to mail tapes out, wait, get them back. So you had to really pick and choose, okay, which shows am I going to get? And so go online, you know, get your digest or go to Good Deals page or wherever and find out, okay, what are the reviews? Or if you were at the show, I would get the show then for sure. So since I was at this weekend, I got it, listen to it all the time to relive it. Um, it's imprinted in your memory. So you could not listen to it for like, you know, five, 10 years. And then as soon as you put it on, you're like, I, I know this by heart. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That's how I felt listening to it after not listening to it for so many years. It just comes rushing back. Yeah, exactly. Yep. A, a, a scene question or, or, or kind of a Benji related question. Benji keeps describing or has described um, the Worcester Thanksgiving runs as tradition, but they only did it twice, right? 97 and 98. Did it feel like tradition by 98? Why do you think, why do you think these felt special? It it did feel like tradition. And I always think that's funny that they only did it twice because <laughs> you feel like they did it like for a decade. Um, you know, I think at the time where a lot of us were in our lives, it it's just where some of those memories just kind of seethe into your mind or your soul more so than like as you get older. And so back then it's like, okay, you're home from, for Thanksgiving break, right? Because a lot of us were in college. And so that's like when we had a time, like several days in a row where I didn't have to think about rushing back for class. And so you're kind of uh, able to experience the weekend more freely without responsibilities, <laughs> which is funny because responsibilities back then are totally not compared to these days. But <laughs> I think that's part of why, because we were young, we're on Thanksgiving break. A lot of us drove from, you know, wherever we lived throughout the Northeast or further, you know, further away. And then you're just in the same place for three days and then you do it again the next year. And it's almost like even the to this day, every Thanksgiving week, I think, oh, we should be in Worcester. <laughs> no, maybe we maybe we felt like if we if if we thought that it was tradition enough that it would become we wanted it so bad to be tradition that it was tradition in our heads already. <laughs> by, by the second year, you're you're ready for the third, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Carla, um, Benji, anything else for our esteemed guest? No, I, I think that's it. Uh, Carla, you talked a little bit about the scene uh, in, in Worcester being spread out, but can, do you remember anything about the scene uh, and about like the after shows and things like that? I remember there were after shows going on. I didn't go to any. I think you did. Um, <laughs> looking at my tour extra, I saw that the Farmer's, Ar uh, Farmer's Almanac was doing like this post-show, I think they called it like a festival thing or something, but, but they were pushing all these um, or promoting all these smaller bands. 
And a lot of people go to that. You know, everyone's handing out flyers, trying to get people to go to the after show. I remember a lot of goo balls. You don't see those as many these days. Bring back the goo balls. Yeah, you, I do. You're, you're trying to get your head back into going back to school, kind of into that mode. You didn't want to do an after party after that show. After Sunday, no, definitely not. But uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I think I saw the Disco Biscuits that night, but that would have been the only, they were the only band that I would see after Fish, uh, or or sometimes they played before Fish, because other than that, I, I wanted to just basically go back to the hotel or wherever, uh, friend's house and, and discuss the show we just saw. Yeah, totally, because you kind of wore yourself out dancing for three hours already, so kudos to those who can, you know, carry on to do a whole other three hours <laughs> well, if you didn't get a chance benji to do it then we did it 25 years later tonight uh to discuss the show is what i'm talking about <laughs> <Yeah>. well, <laughs> well that's going to do it for us today um that's a, a wrap of the famed worcester run of 1997 tomorrow's a day off tour and then the band sets up shop in philly uh for two week night shows and we'll be there fashionably late by 25 years. Uh, so queue up those Philly shows for your homework and meet back here on December 2nd if you're doing this in real time. And thank you very much, um, Carla No, today's guest. And uh, thanks to my co-host, Benji Eisen, and the, Os the Osiris team, uh, who's behind the scenes, Eric Limarenko and Matt Dwyer, and also our other co-host who couldn't be here today, RJB, for making this all work. Um, we couldn't do it without them and we wouldn't do it without you. So thanks for listening. Please rate us, follow us and engage with us on social media and uh, specifically send compliments to me and complaints to Benji and don't do anything he wouldn't do. And in other words, blaze on. Osiris. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.